As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss U.S. Olympic athletes, adult film stars, and sportsman drag racing. Big Jed, we've got a big show on tap. Yeah, Luke, uh, this is a show full, um, you know, in, in complete transparency. We've already recorded the show, and uh, and we're doing the intro last. So you're going to hear Luke nerding out on NHRA competition and the points battles in the sportsman categories, which is good stuff. Somewhere along in there, he had to go ahead and put it in high gear, and he even hit the spray there late to to get us to the finish line. But uh, it's really good stuff. So tune in, make sure you listen to that. We're talk very Jay. little. This, this is an NHRA Lucas Oil Series podcast. We don't we don't need to get the NHRA police after me. I just, oh, yeah. I, I, I overrode <laughs> the throttle stop. Maybe yes. I, I, yeah, there I, you go. No nitrous involved. Does not have the spray. <laughs> We're going to talk very little bracket racing. We got some sad news that that we have to report. That's what we do here on the podcast. So this one's a little bit uh, full of everything, but it's a really good show. Looking forward to it. And uh, and again, Luke's breakdown and his NHRA quote unquote nerd out is a lot of fun. This is probably my favorite episode of the year every year. I love to nerd out and I always apologize for it um, because I I don't know that it could possibly be that interesting to listen to. And yet maybe, maybe it's because I preface it with that each year, Big Jed, but it seems like we get more feedback on this show than any, like, man, I love it when you nerd out. Good. The, 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 the dozen of you that have said that I love it too. That's what we're going to do today. It's the complete nerd out. If you don't like NHRA sportsman competition, you're probably not going to like this show. That's what we're going to dedicate this to. But as Jed alluded to, 
Uh, we've got some big news as it relates to one member of the podcast. One of us had a great weekend and it was not me. Um, we've got some some sad news to pass on uh, at a couple instances in the show. And like I say, we're going to nerd out all that and more. But first. Luke, before I before I say that, you keep us from having to watch this points chase, these points chases ourselves. The nerd out is exceptional and you should be very proud of it, my friend. That being said. PJ North. All right, Jed, we've got a lot to get to, but the biggest news as it pertains to the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast, my man, Footbreak legend, Footbreak current, Footbreak stud, Big Jed Jared Pennington knocking down a 5K Footbreak race over the weekend. How about you, Jed? Yeah, you know, Luke, I don't have a lot of good weekends at the track anymore, um, but I uh, had one this weekend at the House of Smoke race. It's, it's our best local race that we have each year. A couple of friends put that on, and uh, it's, uh, it's a really good purse with, a, with great attendance and just an all-around great feel, uh, local racing for really good money, and um, somehow I snuck in there and, and got by a tough foot brake field and got the win so it was pretty fun uh, i don't give myself a lot of foot brake opportunities anymore for some reason i think i'm a top ball racer but uh, i suck at that so maybe i should go back to foot brake racing more often than i do hitting the top nonetheless it was a good day and um i you know really really happy with it um drove well and race some good competitors it was it was really the kind of win that you that you want when it's all said and done well jed as we've discussed and you can go back as a listener if you missed it and, and listen to the 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 full-on exclusive big jet interview we do that was that earlier this year uh, i think it was uh, i think it was a show that we should have scrapped a long time ago prior to it being released but yeah i think that was early this year 294 episodes they do tend to run together but i do think it was early 2022 if you want to go back and, and check that out but if you listen to that then you know like there there was a time where an event like this goes on basically anywhere in the state of alabama if you're laying odds i, I don't think you're uh, you're too humble to admit big jed you would have been a favorite well, I definitely would have been in a, in a smaller group of people that was picked to win, um, but that was a, a, a short window, Luke. It was, it was really about a five, six-year window at the most. So um, to come back a couple of decades after my prime and, and be able to compete and get a win light, final win light, it was, it was pretty cool. But, you know, those my best racing days are behind me, uh, but every once in a while, sneak in there and have a good day. Got to feel good. It's got to feel good. And I, and I can, I'm beginning to, to be able to attest more and more, it seems to the idea that your final round opponent was what, like less than a third of your age. That's common. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Luke, the, the final four, uh, barely crested my age combined. <laughs> I mean, they were, they were like 60 total between the three of them the other three and and i'm 51 so yeah <laughs> you couldn't have put any two of them together and got to my age let's just say that <laughs> well congratulations my friend it's a good thank to you see. i appreciate it that was a not worthy of the show but like you said if if it wasn't our show then we wouldn't have talked about it but 
Glad we did. Good absolutely, stuff. absolutely. <laughs> before before we go on complete nerd out, and by the way, if you're not a fan of the NHRA Sportsman classes, uh, listen to like the next five minutes, and then you can just come back next week because that's pretty much what we're going to dedicate this day to and this episode to. This is the complete. It's the annual or maybe semi annual nerd out. Um, but first, Big Jed, just uh, within 24 hours of us recording. Uh, we got news that uh, that Steve Dillman passed away. Um, not unexpected. We know that Steve's been fighting. Uh, this day was was inevitably coming, um, but it doesn't make it any easier to deal with Steve Dillman, uh, a, a legend in our sport. Um, obviously, gone too soon. Um, I, I'll let you lead off here, Jed. I, I knew I knew Steve to an extent. I won't claim to uh, to have been mentored by him necessarily. Um, was closer to him in my younger years since I'm probably much closer to his, his sons than I was to Steve. Um, obviously got some thoughts, but I'll, I'll, I'll let you kick things off. Yeah, Luke, uh, I did not know Steve. Um, our paths did not cross very often, but you know, at this day and time, you, you hear about people passing within reasoning of their passing, but this was basically instant. I know that it was in the early hours of the morning, but I think everyone woke up to seeing that on social media this morning. There was a tremendous outpouring of, of love and prayers for um, Mr. Dillman's family and the, the close, large circle of friends that he's impacted over his many years on earth. Uh, so it's easy to see this was a very high quality individual that was loved and respected by so, so many in his family and out of his family. Um, so just, you know, again, I can't speak personally of the, the impact of, of his passing, but it is obvious that it is significant. And uh, here on earth, we, we lost a, a very, very good man that uh, impacted many, many lives in a very positive way and certainly uh, sending up thoughts and prayers for his family as they go through the challenging days ahead and then obviously extended time past that with, with Steve's passing. So uh, definitely wish them the best and um, certainly, uh, you know, the not only his family, but his friends. And there were obviously very many, Luke. Yeah, without question. I mean, on the racetrack, Steve had a lot of success in the, in the NHRA ranks um, and, and was among the, the pioneers of, of early big dollar bracket racing. You know, was a, I know he'd won a several days at, uh, at Moroso, uh, events of that nature. So we'll remember him certainly as a racer, but I think the, the, uh, the legacy, if you will, of, of Steve Dillman was if you, if you were around Steve at the racetrack, like he was just one of those men that had a presence about him that, yes demanded respect but like was never intimidating right he seemed welcoming to all and he was very much and and this is really coming to light now in the in frankly hours just since his passing now um how influential he was like how many people basically were a generation removed big jed like a lot of the the racers that we came up emulating they came up emulating Steve Dillman and were kind of under his wing. Like I know that he was very close with, with Scotty Richardson, uh, David Rampey. Um, the, the, the list goes on down. Jeff Strickland was actually just talking to me about him uh, last weekend, knowing that uh, there wasn't much time left and how much he'd meant to, to Jeff and Don. Like he just touched a lot of lives. And I think 
the the legacy that'll stick out for me and again I, I won't claim to have to have you know been near Steve in his in his last years or you know been particularly close to him or his family but it's amazing because you just look at someone from the outside and you think man this is a guy that's revered within the racing community you know and respected for what he did on the racetrack and off and I think as as we grow older, Big Jed, it, it becomes increasingly clear um, there's there's people like that that leave a, a legacy within you know their sport or their profession or however you say it. And then there's people that you can just tell their their loved ones, their family, absolutely revered them, right? And it's really rare, in, in my experience that you get somebody that check both boxes, right? It's usually either one way or another, you know, you kind of dedicate and devote your life in in one direction and the other, uh, you know, suffers to some extent or, or it's just obviously not your, your priority for, for any number of reasons. That's not the case with Steve Dillman, like loved and revered professionally, if you will, or within this, this group, you know, this, this, this racing family that we all know and completely like the, patriarch like there's no question the head of the household like so respected by his family like I just think that combination is pretty unique and and that's a legacy that I think ultimately like we'd all love to leave and I think Steve definitely leaves it very well said Luke as I read the posts today about Steve and his his time with the individuals that were making the posts I couldn't find one thing said about him that I don't dream about being said about me when, when my time is done. And that's, you can tell someone's impact when you, when you read that type of stuff. And uh, his legacy is, is definitely one that uh, any of us would be honored to leave behind. All right. Ready to nerd out. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're about to, as you told the listeners, we're about to get heavy on the NHRA stuff, but you know, you're the play-by-play here, and, and I'll throw in some color commentary. A lot of this I don't really have a whole lot to add to, but you know me. I'm going to talk and add to it. But um, you you encourage the listener, if this is not their thing, to go ahead and just part ways with us. But they're about to miss out on something pretty special. You don't have to follow these points chases to understand them and get a feel for who potentially is about to realize a dream come true because we're going to get that information from you, Luke. So let's do this. And listeners, don't y'all go anywhere. You better tune in and listen to this. Good stuff. All right, let's start with the weekend that was. There was one NHRA event last weekend. It was the the Midwest Nationals at uh, Worldwide Technology Raceway near St. Louis. Hit on a couple of notable results that maybe don't necessarily have an impact on points, but are, are fun stories, notable stories. How about Supercomp? Back-to-back national event wins for the Houston family. Junior Houston won his first national event Wally in the Supercomp category at St. Louis, just a week removed from his father, Robert, winning his first national event in Supercomp at Charlotte. It is all Houstons all the time in Supercomp and NHRA national event competition. Pretty cool stuff. Very cool stuff. The Houston family is a big-time racing family out of North Carolina, and they have a huge commitment to this. They don't do a whole lot of traveling to go do this type of racing. They're typically going to do it right around home or the closest events they have to home. But they're talented folks, and they got great equipment. So 
uh, good to see those guys uh, realize some some big wins here and and hoist those wallies week or back to back weeks. That's that's pretty incredible. Former top sportsman national champion Darian Bosch got the win in top dragster. He takes the Wally back to his hometown in Louisiana. Uh, Rob Cropfeld, Big Jed in Super Gas with arguably, I don't even know if it's arguable, uh, quite possibly the most impressive Super Gas box score we've seen all season. Check this, Jed. In six rounds of competition, Rob Cropfeld, double O every hit except one. That bad miss was 17. Never went faster than the 990 dial-in. Uh, five of the six, no slower than 92-0. Had a sub-20 package in three of the six rounds of eliminations, including the final. And keep in mind, like, I know I say this, and it's probably like a broken record. Those of us that, that eighth mile bracket race a lot, like sub-20 package, ah, you know, that's typical. Double the length of the track. You can't change your dial-in. And the race is spread out over... Literally, you know, it's two days, but literally from 9 a.m. Saturday morning to 4 p.m. Sunday evening. And it's essentially the way this one went, probably four first rounds, right? You've got pretty significant weather changes. Um, like, it's just not that easy to make these kind of runs. And Cropfield made it look really, really easy. Yeah, very impressive box score, Luke. We, we talked about Rob just a little off air here and you know, you, you talked about how well he did in the round that you faced him and then to go continue to do that for, for all rounds of the race, basically just executing at a high level on both ends. Um, very, very, very impressive. And as you said, sub 20 packages in half of the rounds, um, you know, if, if that, if that doesn't impress you in this category and those conditions, you really should study this class more because that is extremely hard to do. And when he was not sub 20 package, you know, it was still very, very strong. So great job by Rob Cropfield and uh, no surprise there. He's a talented dude. He is and can do it in a lot of different ways and a lot of different cars. To your point, uh, I was, I was Rob's first victim. And, you know, there's a part of you that when you see a 16 package in the other lane, first round of a national event, you want to bemoan your luck. You're like, why did I run that guy then? Well, why did I run that guy then? Because like the next round he was better. Like what he laid down against me was pretty much <laughs> average for the day. Like that's 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 pretty much what you had to do to beat Rob Cropfeld. So kudos to Rob. Um, Tyler Radarzik, super stock. He was very much in contention for the box score of the season, right there along with Rob Cropfeld. Um, and to be quite frank, going into their final round, his opponent, Marion Stevenson, was not in contention for the best box score of the season. And funny how this typically works out, right? Uh, Tyler Wadarzik had problems in the final. Marion Stevenson gets the win. Back to to Tyler. And kudos to Marion Stevenson. I don't mean to throw any shade on his national event victory. That's like number six, I believe, for Marion in his career. Very, very accomplished racer. Very, very good racer. He'd probably be the first to tell you that this wasn't necessarily his best performance. It just all worked out. But as for Wadarzik, I think he was 27 in the final, but uh, I don't know exactly what he had going on. He went seven tenths above the dial and obviously had problems. I don't know if, if that played a role on the starting line or not, but the point of this conversation is that for the five rounds leading up to the final of Superstock, Tyler Darzik's worst reaction time, Big Jed, 14. Solid. Yeah, very solid. Again, in a, in a category that, you know, will throw you a curveball from time to time and, you know, when the car's slow, it leaves slow. So, 
you know, this, this is very impressive on Tyler's part. Uh, no surprise though, talented guy, a young man from the, from the, I guess, Kansas area and just always gives himself an opportunity to win when he's in the show. He don't, he don't get out and do a whole lot of riding around and traveling, but when, uh, when events get in his area and he's competing, he's always a threat and, um, hated to see that he had some issues in the final, but, you know, Marion Stevenson took advantage of that as he's supposed to and got that sixth win. So good for him. And Tyler will be back, I'm sure. No worries there. Stock eliminator win goes to Cuda or to Puppy, however you want to put it. Cuda Hidalgo, ninth national event win, did it in typical Cuda fashion, somewhere between dominant and solid uh, throughout competition. My favorite part of watching Cuda win, did you happen to see like the final round video, Big Jed? I did not. My favorite part always never fails. The dog never lets me down. My favorite part of watching Cooter win is watching the dog react. The dog gets fired <laughs> up, Big Jed. It is fun. Boy, he, he's into it, man. It's uh, it's what it's all about, right? And I, it just it makes me smile every time I see it. The dog gets jacked up. There's fist pumping. I mean, the whole the jumping up and down. He's yeah, and and Cooter's still on his way down the racetrack. He's fired up. It was good stuff. More so, on. So for those that don't know, Luke, uh, these are Louisiana racers. Yeah, the dog uh, and the both, puppy. Both name uh, Jamie James or Jimmy, as people would call him. Hidalgo. You got senior and junior. Cooter is the country puppy, and his father is the country dog. So that's not his dog wasn't jumping up and down knowing that he won. <laughs> just so y'all know, <laughs> this this was his father. Uh, just a, a father-son race team that has done this for quite a while together and with a lot of success within that household. So good to see that he still gets excited, Luke, over a final round win light after as many as they've experienced. 100%. My favorite, there's a lot of good dog stories, but I'll just, I'll throw one in from personal experience. So the the year that Brian Robinson and I ran Stock Eliminator, we had a we had a heads up run at Memphis where we did everything but flip the Snova that I was driving over, like drug the bumper for 300 feet and won a heads up race by a couple thousandths of a second. Like one of the coolest, um, like single, probably the coolest single round of my life. Right. And you wouldn't think that a heads up stock eliminated run would qualify, but it was awesome. Right. So in the midst of us getting ready for another heads up the following round, which we had zero chance of zero prayer. Right. The the Hidalgos, the dogs, the dog and the puppy, are changing motors and carting a motor across the pits. And the motor that they're they're pushing this motor across the pits on a uh, on a uh, like a four wheel wooden cart, and the cart breaks, wheel busts off of it, and they got to figure out how to. You know, we all help them move this motor to wherever it's going, right? <laughs> and the dog comes walking over about half an hour later with one of the casters off of this little crate. And sticks it through a hole on the bumper of this Nova that I'm driving. He's like, there you go, big dog. You, you got a willy ball now. You ready for that heads up? And then he just fired up, man. It was, it was great. <laughs> I can picture that happening. Good stuff. All right, more on Cooter later. I did want to touch on, did you ever see this, Jed? This was a bizarre sequence. Um, I guess it, ultimately the semifinal and then, and then finally final round of competition eliminator. Um, Jason, I'm going to say Grimma. Grima, maybe, comes over from Australia with a, a B altered Mustang, like fast. I don't know if that's what, what exactly a B altered is, like pro stock ish type car and, and uh, high six second comp eliminator car. 
And he's making really good runs, uh, hitting the tree well, it's fast, does a pretty good job at the finish line, advances to the semifinal round where he's got the bye to the final. Uh, in front of him, Adam Hickey wins. So it's going to be Jason Grimma and Adam Hickey in the final. And typically, Big Jed, like, have you ever watched a competition eliminator bye run? I don't think I have, Luke. They're not particularly exciting because in competition eliminator, like you get penalized for going too fast. Sure. Even on a single. So all anybody does on a, on a competition eliminator by run is maybe click it at half track. Oftentimes it's not even that, right? Well, for whatever reason, and I'm not going to fault the logic, but Jason Grimmel wanted some data, obviously, out of this semifinal by run. And he ends up getting loose and putting this be altered on its side into the wall. I mean, just all kind of crash. He's fine. He gets out of the car fine. And um, that creates a, obviously a, a bizarre final round single for Adam Hickey. And that's significant because it gives Adam Hickey like a legitimate chance now to win the world championship. And we'll jump off that platform and we'll actually start with the class that we probably dedicate as little time to as anything competition eliminator, big Jen. As we enter, we're at the point in the season where there are nine events remaining in NHRA competition, six divisional events, three national events at which racers can earn points. And what's, I think, most interesting about that is of those nine events, four of them will be contested in one weekend, next weekend. You've got the Dallas national event. You've got a double divisional in division seven at Bakersfield. You've got a divisional event in division two at Orlando. So that knocks out half of the remaining fields. It's not like anyone could attend the nine remaining events, right? At most, you're going to make what, five more. So with that in mind, competition eliminator, Greg Camplain, who we discussed uh, off and on throughout the season, he's been the leader basically all season. He's got 580 points and he's done. He cannot earn another point. He can go to more races. He can go to as many races as he wants. He's, he's maxed out. He's, he's run his full quota. So at 580 and done. And 580 is not traditionally a score that would win the competition eliminator world championship. Just did a little bit of research here just to, to validate that statement. Last season, three drivers surpassed 580. 580 would have finished fourth. In 2020, 580 would have finished second. In 2019, Craig Bourgeois had 580 points and finished second by over 100 points to Frank Aragonin. In 2018, 580 would have finished fifth. In 2017, 580 would have finished fourth. But as we've discussed uh, this year, particularly on the podcast, like competition eliminator in 2022 is a little bit of a different world. Like there seems to be more parity than ever. And I think that's due in part to some resurgence in that category, right? Some more competitive cars running. And I think also it'd be remiss to, to say that it doesn't have a lot to do with the fact that you don't have Bruno Massel out there. We don't have David Rampey out there. We don't have Frank Aragona really running a full schedule. And I actually just uh, recently read that, that Frank is back like in his, in his health battle. Uh, so certainly want to send him the best. I don't know any of the details on that, but, uh, but, but hopefully uh, obviously wishing the best for Frankie. Uh, yes, most definitely. But when you take those three, I mean, for the last decade, those have been probably those and maybe Craig Bourgeois, have been the most dominant names in competition eliminator with them running a limited schedule or in Rampy's case, not running at all. Obviously it, it opens the doors quite a bit in the category. I think at this point, despite that, you know, relatively low score compared to seasons past, I think Greg Campaign's actually the favorite, but man, has he got to dodge some bullets, right? We just talked about Adam Hickey. Hickey is 
Jed, honestly, probably the most interesting. He's 129 points back, and that's a lot, and particularly in a competition eliminator where a lot of races are just four rounds, so it's only 85 points to win. If it goes five rounds, it's 95 points to win. So he's over a full race behind, way down the sheet. I don't even think Adam Hickey is in the top 10 right now. But his next national event, which will be Dallas uh, a week and a half from now, it counts full. So like he gets points for staging first round plus whatever rounds he wins. Plus, he can still improve at three more Lucas Oil Series events, and he's improving a first-round loss. And then once he improves that, he's improving a second-round loss. So there is a lot of opportunity for him to move up. Now, seeing as he just won the national event in St. Louis, uh, I think it's fair to assume that he's staying in town. He's going to be there for the double divisional this weekend. So that's two more opportunities. So for him, the path could include the double at St. Louis, the national event in Dallas, the national event in Vegas, the divisional event in Vegas, the national event in Pomona. That doesn't get him a full slate. It'd still be one national event short of the max. You you get your best three out of six, your best five out of eight. Um, But it's close, like close enough to compete. And he would have to do well. Like essentially the way I'm doing the math to pass campaign, uh, Adam Hickey would have to win two of his remaining six events. But he's got six events. He just won. Like the opportunity is there, right? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, this is a this is a class when your when your stuff is fast, you know, that gives you an opportunity. And you know, you get dialed in on the tree, and you're doing your job on the starting line. Uh, it it gives you a great opportunity. And obviously, Adam is in that position right now and uh, needs it to continue. The the odds are not necessarily in his favor, but there's a chance and this is a class where people get on a roll for sure. So you're telling me there's a chance, <laughs> the best chance probably to, to surpass Greg Camplain. If I was Greg Camplain, probably the racer that I would be first and foremost concerned with is Ryan Pretty out West. Now Pretty has 551 points. So he is 29 points back, which is essentially three rounds of racing behind Greg Camplain. He's got two divisionals remaining. I would assume that those will both come next weekend in Bakersfield for Mr. Pretty. Um, <clears throat> he's improving a second round loss. So honestly, I, I had to do a little bit of research here because that race in Bakersfield is subject to just be a three round race in comp, but whether it's three rounds or four rounds, it's the same point allotment to win, right? So if he wins one of those races, he would take the lead. Now that's a pretty tall order. You have to win the race, but Ryan Pretty's obviously capable. And again, they're subject to be 10 or less comp cars there. Some pretty good ones, but just the the, the pure mass of, of rounds. And what gets really interesting in this is knowing Greg Camplain, I know this is like the one box not checked in his career. Like he's not won a national championship. He's contended a bunch. He's won everything you could win, particularly in comp eliminator and in other classes. This would mean everything to him. At the same time, as we discussed before, Greg Camplain is not only in position to potentially win the national championship, he's also got a stranglehold on the Division Four title and specifically the, the point series surrounding it The Roger Brogdon and, and Roof Tech have put together that pays $100,000. Now, the dilemma, at least the way I understand it for Camplain, is in order to secure that $100,000, and I don't know exactly how the points work on this, he may win it anyway but it would make it a little bit close for comfort. The Dallas national event is, is part of that point series. So he really needs to go to Dallas. Plus 
there is added incentive because one of the, the incentives that Brogdon put together in that series was if anyone in one competition eliminator at both the Houston National and the Dallas National, it was an additional $25,000. Well, guess who won Houston? Greg Campaign. So he stands to win 125 grand if he goes to Dallas, wins the race. However, at the same time, on top of that Dallas race is this Bakersfield race that Ryan Pretty's at that Greg Campaign would probably like to go to and try to keep Ryan Pretty from winning. I don't know how you balance those two and make that decision. Obviously, the more financially lucrative place to be is Dallas, but I don't know where that falls into line in terms of Greg Campaign's priorities versus potentially securing a national championship. It'd be interesting to see where he ends up and how it plays out. Yeah, with with pretty, you know, having uh, a short potential race and uh, maybe a better opportunity to to go out there and get that win and position himself where he wants to be in the points versus going to Dallas and possibly winning 125 grand. That's an easy decision, Luke. You go to Dallas. I mean, if Pretty goes out there and earns it, he earns it. But here's your chance. This is what you've raced for. Is this 125k, bro? I think you got to go to Dallas too. But I, I thought it was an interesting dilemma. And it is. And honestly, to to make Greg feel a little bit better about the decision to go to Dallas, Ryan Pretty's obviously capable. But at that race at Bakersfield, like I think it is uh, fair to assume he's to have to drive through um, Joe Mozeris, uh, presumably Cody Lane. Um, maybe Dean Carter, like that's not going to, that may be a short field. It's not going to be a, an easy field by any stretch. So I think that would make me feel a little bit better about going to Dallas and chasing the money and trying to get all of it. Like I want to win, I want to win the world and 125 grand. And yes, that could happen too. Most definitely. Uh, a couple other, um, a handful of other competition eliminator drivers with a chance, David Eaton, Chase Williams, Cody Lane, all in the mix. Um, Eaton has one points meet left. Uh, he's from Florida. I would assume that would come in Orlando. He trails by 38 points. He would need 81 plus, uh, which means that he's got to win, right? Uh, whether it's a three-round race, four-round race, and I think either of those are on the table at Orlando too. If Eaton wins his last points meet, he would surpass Campaign. Chase Williams has to make the final round at both remaining national events. Uh, so that would be uh, Dallas and Vegas, presume, presumably for him. Or I guess I think he could also win one and make the semis at the other to pass campaign. Chase Williams got to go a bunch of rounds, got to win at least one of those races. Um, Cody Lane is is an interesting one as well, because um, right now he's at three national events and six divisionals remaining. And the way that the schedule lays out, he can't make the full allotment unless he's at gateway this weekend. Um, he'll either be one divisional or one national short and Washington where Cody Lane lives to, to, to St. Louis. That's not close, but he is, they have definitely proven um, that they're not afraid to travel at all. And given this opportunity, I would expect to see him in St. Louis this weekend. Um, he's improving a first round loss at both the national event and the, and the divisional side with multiple opportunities to improve at both. Um, he's 71 points back. So he would need multiple late finishes, you know, multiple finals, probably the rest of the way, but super capable. Um, Cody Lane's one of the most talented young racers, not only in competition eliminator, but probably in all the sportsman drag racing. Yeah, obviously uh, a chance and an interesting chance at that, but uh, Luke, as you wrap up each of these categories, you've gone to the measure of putting a master handicapper. That's right. I'm breaking uh, it down. Together. So, so 
all of that said about all of these racers, why don't you break this down and tell us where the odds fall? See, I'd like to give odds, but I don't, I'm not a gambler. I don't really understand how odds work. So what I did is say like, okay, the hundred percent of the time, somebody's going to win the championship (laughs) based on what we know now, how how, what are the percentages? I'm going to break it down like this. In my opinion, Greg Campaign wins this championship. If this plays out a, a thousand times between now and November, I think Greg Campaign takes home the Wally 40% of the time. I'll give Cody Lane a 20% chance to win. Uh, Ryan Pretty, 15%. Adam Hickey, 15%. And everybody else in competition limited, because there are several others with a, a mathematical shot, I'd say 10% combined. Like there's a 10% chance that it might be somebody we didn't even just talk about. Yeah, I like that. Uh, you know, after after all that discussion, it's easy for someone that doesn't follow this or someone that's not reading the show notes like me to get a little lost in there, but you wrap it up and say, all that said, Camplain has double the percentage chance of anybody else in the field and sometimes even more so than double. So Camplain is your likely favorite in your opinion. He's the favorite, but at the same time, if you're good Camplain, you can't feel good about it. Cause like, I got a higher percentage chance to win than anybody else, but I really got a 40% chance to win and a 60% chance to lose. Right? There's, there's so yeah. many people that have the opportunity to pass them. Like, I think it's probably more likely than not that someone does it, but who it would be would all kind of be long shots in their own way. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, and as the, the races narrow down and, and there's less opportunities for people to, to find events, they're eventually going to end up at the same one. and you want more people with an opportunity, I think, battling one another, you know, uh, showing up at these races and battling one another, which probably increases your odds slightly. So yeah, campaign's in really good shape here. Not only are they going to, to eliminate one another, but you just feel better when your biggest competitor is racing against someone for whom that round also means a lot. Right. Yes, so there's, there's everybody's laying it all on the line. 100%. That's right. Um, let's transition into into Superstock. I'll kind of let you take the the leader the rest of the way. And the leader in Superstock is someone that I know that we're both relatively familiar with, having had him on the show uh, a little less than a year ago. Yeah. So uh, obviously we've talked about Greg Stanfield quite a bit uh, for for a couple of years now on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. But again, this year, and and, uh, it's a four-way race, as you have it broken down with Stanfield, Wyatt Wagner, which I think has inserted his name uh, recently, Um, Pete Diagnolo, and you'll talk about some challenges maybe to Pete's opportunity to to win the Superstock crown, and Ryan McClanahan, which, again, is seemingly always in the conversation uh, three of the four former champs, Luke and uh, and Wyatt, on his way to accomplishing that goal sometime in the future. So break this down for us. Yeah, that's what's so amazing about this Superstock race is one of these four is going to win. I, I don't really see a path for anyone outside of the four names that you just mentioned. And they are all super capable. Obviously, Greg Stanfield, six-time world champion. Um <clears throat> Pete Dagnolo has, has not won an NHRA championship yet. He's won everything else. He's won an IHRA world championship um, and, and just won Indy, won big, big dollar bracket races, like very talented dude. Um, Ryan McClanahan, former NHRA world champion. And to your point, Wyatt Wagner, 
he hasn't done it yet. Um, but I would be shocked if in 20 years we could say that, like why it's a young guy that's really talented and, and really um, focused on Superstock specifically. He's going to win a world championship. I don't know if it's this year necessarily, but he'll get one at some point. Um, so what a bloodbath, right, among those four. Um, so you mentioned Stanfield and the, the score that he's got and where he's at right now. He actually just ran his third national event last weekend in St. Louis. He lost first round to the aforementioned Tyler Wadarzik. We talked about how nasty Tyler had been all day. How about Greg Stanfield, first round, trying to win a world championship, super stop, 11 take 12, no good, right? <laughs> um, mm. Just staging for first round despite the loss puts him at 615 points. That's the leader right now. That total is not going to win the championship in Superstock. He's got some uh, room to improve, but he has five races remaining, presumably the St. Louis double and all three remaining national events, Dallas, Vegas, Pomona. He's improving uh, first and second round losses now nationally. On the divisional side, he's got a little bit more uh, tougher road to hoe to earn points. He's improving a fourth round loss. But again, like I don't expect Greg Stanfield to... Nobody, whoever, 615 is not going to win, but I don't think Greg Stanfield is going to end his season at 615, right? He's going to improve that. You talked about Pete Dagnolo. He currently sits fourth, but that's a little bit misleading because when he stages at his next divisional event, he gets the full 30 points for showing up. So he's just two points back of Stanfield when he stages for round one. Now, what's working against Pete Dagnolo at this point is to this point, there have been two divisional events completely canceled. Uh, we talked about the Columbus, uh, the, the JEG Speed Week divisional side of that event got canceled, not postponed, not rescheduled, canceled. That was back in July, right? And we talked about how difficult that was, even at that point in the season for racers that had, that had scheduled and made plans and scheduled time off of work, like to just completely can a divisional event, like that's rough, you know, at some point to, with just a few months notice to pick up another one. Well, that got compounded this last weekend, the last division one event scheduled for last weekend in Virginia, obviously um, hurricane Ian had other plans and that race, not only was it not able to be contested last weekend, it's completely wiped off the calendar. And this is, I understand the financial reasoning behind this. Like it is my understanding, at least that, that NHRA Lucas oil series events are not necessarily the most profitable thing for racetracks specifically when they have to be rescheduled and postponed and, and they're kind of an afterthought. So I, I don't blame anyone for, for pulling the plug on this, but from a points earning perspective, like this is relatively unprecedented. Like my, my particularly this late in the season, my experience had always been that these races tried to get made up somewhere along the line um, in an effort to give racers the opportunity to, to earn the points that they thought they would have the chance to earn within a, a reasonable region of the country, that's not going to be available to the division one racers. And then specifically how hard this hits, let's just say division one, like for most of those racers, obviously Virginia is a home division event for most of those racers, particularly up in the, in the Northeast and in New York and Pennsylvania and, and that area, the Columbus divisional is the closest out of division. So they essentially had two races completely wiped off the schedule. And I would presume that Pete Dagnolo was very much intending on attending both of those events. And now he gets neither one and he's very much in contention for the championship. And now very much behind the eight ball. He's only been to four divisional events uh, this far, thus far this season. So his next one counts full. He could uh, theoretically improve at three more, 
I don't really see a path for him to get to four more points meets. I assume, I don't think this would have originally been in his plans, but I assume I will see him in St. Louis this weekend to make the double. That'll get him two, right? Where he goes from there, he could go to Orlando. I guess he could go out West and make uh, Bakersfield and or Vegas. But I mean, you're talking about an intense um, travel schedule the, the rest of the way. Like it, it's, it's unfortunate for, for Pete and a couple other races that we'll talk about as we go that um, it falls this way, right? That, that potentially uh, these cancellations may not necessarily rob him of a chance to win the title, but definitely lessen his chances or at the very least make it really, really difficult on him logistically. Yeah, at the least, it's it's putting extra obstacles in the way. It's hard enough to win it even when you have the events in your home area that you're going to attend. And when you when those cancel, it's pretty devastating. Um, obviously, no one's fault. It just is what it is. But no time to make it up. And it's putting Pete in a in a difficult position to have to make the decision to travel quite a bit from his home area to to make these points meets i imagine a double in st louis makes that a little easier decision when you know you can go get two of them and if you perform well you're in tremendous shape but again that only forces you to go do those other events that you talked about and and make it all you know give yourself every opportunity you can to to score points so tough spot for pete it'd be interesting to see how his St. Louis performance impacts uh, the next steps for him, Luke. Um, but, you know, I assume he's going to give himself a great opportunity to, to go do it. And hopefully it works out for him to where, you know, he, he gets to throw his best shot at it for sure. A couple other notes on, on Dagnolo. He's also got two national events left that he could potentially, or at least uh, theoretically improve upon. The good news for Pete is there's not much reason to have to attend those unless he just wants to. <laughs> He's damn near perfect on the national event side. Two wins and a runner-up. You only get to claim three. Solid. N- not, not much. Bad. Not much room to gain there. On the divisional side, like I said, the next one counts full. After that, he's improving a third-round loss, and you can quickly um, do the the math there. In I believe it is eight events thus far this season. That's the worst Pete Dagnolo has done. He's never lost first round. He's never lost second round all season. That in and of itself, pretty impressive at this point. Yeah, I'd say no matter what category you're speaking of, it's very impressive, but probably a little more impressive on the the super stock side of things with, uh, again, some of the weather changes and things they deal with, the the delays. So uh, very impressive box score for him for the year. And um, that's why he is where he is with an opportunity. Uh, But still, there's some heavy hitters looming there in super stock loop all right so the majority of this discussion has been about greg stanfield and pete dagnolo white wagner and ryan mcclanahan like i'll lump them in together because they're in very very similar positions they both have four races remaining they're separated by one point in the standings uh white wagner has 594 points ryan mcclanahan has 593 um they're both uh will they both have two nationals two divisionals left they're both improving Uh, I think second round on one side, third round on the other. So both very much in position um, given the, the scores and the talent of the two guys that are uh, a couple of rounds ahead of them. I think it would, it would take some doing for Wyatt Wagner or Ryan McClanahan. Like I, I, I would say at the very least a win, probably multiple finals to ultimately overcome um, Stanfield and, and, or Dagnolo, but two guys that are really capable of doing that. So 
You ready to break it down, Big J? Do you want the odds? I'm ready for the odds, Luke. All right. I got Greg Stanfield winning this thing 40% of the time. I got Pete Dagnolo winning it 38% of the time. They're, they're basically in the same position. The reason I give a slight edge, the 2% edge to Stanfield is I know that there is a path and I would presume there is a plan to max out the, the quota. I don't know that Dagnolo can make the max number of events and he may not need to, right? But in that situation, like you would like to have more opportunities, more potential races to throw away. I think it's a slight edge for Stanfield and Stanfield, like six world championships have to count for something, but I just don't see Dagnolo being phased by this at all. Like if it comes to who do I trust to perform under pressure, I trust all four of these guys, but certainly those two, I can't distinguish between. So I got Stanfield at 40%, Dagnolo at 38 I'll put Wagner and McClanahan both at 11% each. And that leaves the rest of the field, Big, Z, Big Jed, at zero. One of these four is going to win it. That's my guarantee. Yeah, and uh, obviously it's a, it's somewhat of a two-man race, uh, but two others with an opportunity. And, uh, again, I, I love that breakdown, and that's uh, very, very interesting as we move forward. Now, Luke, before we transition into stock, i got to say real quick, based on what I'm seeing on the old clock on the wall here, um, we got to, we've got several more categories. We got to turn these things into somewhere about eight minutes, a category uh, for you to, to meet the deadline that you've given yourself. So we have a hard out tonight. Maybe we'll speed this up a touch. Yeah. So, uh, we're going to move to stock. We're, uh, probably on our, uh, our first or second race of the, of the year. We crowned Brad Burton as your stock eliminator world champion. He is still positioned extremely well, Luke, to to continue what we thought was going to happen and realize the dream of being champion once again. Brad Burton sits at 624 points today. That is the highest total in any sportsman class as of right now. Plus, he's likely to improve. He still has two national events, two divisional events at which to earn points. He's improving a second round and a third round loss. So the opportunity is there. It's not over just yet though even though i called it six months ago joe santangelo is in contention 590 points three divisionals left to claim now santangelo is in a similar position to pete dagnolo like i'm i'm not sure that joe would have been at saint would have been at uh, columbus i am very confident he would have been in virginia um now he's a little bit behind the eight ball i assume again that i will see him in st louis this weekend um maybe on to vegas like i don't know how how he makes three more divisionals to even give this a chance. Uh, I do like his chances of surpassing that 624 point mark that Brad Burton has right now, but I also expect Brad to improve. So uh, Santangelo is certainly capable, but Burton definitely the favorite. And now uh, we just talked about Cooter Hidalgo and his win in St. Louis this weekend. All of a sudden, like, hello, Cooter. Just I want to say out of nowhere, because it seems like Cooter does this almost every year saves a lot of races to late, makes a move late in the, in the, in the calendar. He's at 548 points. He's got three nationals and three divisionals left to run. He's improving first and second round losses at divisionals. He's proven second round loss at a national. So he's got a lot of ground potentially to make up and the, and the races left to do it. There's a path for him to make all six of those events. And I assume that that's the plan. It would take multiple finals for Cooter to really make a run at this championship but that's not crazy. I mean, just in the last three events that Cooter's been to, he's got two wins in a semi. If he could keep up that pace, 
like we could very well be having a discussion in another month saying, whoa, Cooter's like two, two wind lights away from pulling this thing off. Um, that's not, that's, that's not out of the question at all. And then Jeff Lopez, who we talked about uh, off and on all season, he's only been to two national events and he's yet to turn on a wind light in national event competition. And yet his divisional score is so incredible that he would still take the national points lead with a win next weekend in Dallas. Like presumably Jeff could still make Dallas Vegas Pomona if he so desires to do so, but he's already left national events on the table um, short of probably winning Dallas. I really don't see him going out West, um, but again, the opportunity is there. So let's shake it down. Big Jed, Brad Burton. I want to say it's over. I did say it's over. I think he's the strong, overwhelming favorite. I give him a 60% chance of winning this. Let's put Joe Santangelo at 15%. Cooter Hidalgo at 15%. Jeff Lopez at 10%. That leaves the rest of the field, Big Jed, with? Zero. No shot. No shot. And I appreciate you trying to spice that up and make it look like uh, these other guys have an opportunity. But it's over. <laughs> Congratulations, Brad. Congratulations. (laughs) All right, Luke, let's transition to a class that's going to take a little bit of time right here. So I'm I'm glad you sped that one up. Super comp. This thing is full of talent. There are odds for a lot of racers, a lot of great racers and the field. The leader currently is a former world champion in Sherman Adcock Jr. And while I want so bad for him to be the guy that you say it's over for that is far from the case no in fact sherm's probably on down the list in terms of odds i could actually we could speed up super comp a lot big jed um if you want to i have no freaking idea i've been saying that all year (laughs) like you could list off 30 names and say that 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 guy or that gal is going to win the championship i'm like oh yeah i could see that it gets literally that wide open um sherman leads by a point um, and he's improving. He's only got divisionals left. He's improving good races. Like it's short of at the very least winning one of the two and probably having to do more than that. I, as, as much as I'd like to see it, I know you'd like to see it. I don't really see Sherm holding the trophy at the end of the year, unless he got really hot. And I think the the story here is of these, we're going to mention, we're going to rattle off nearly a dozen names. So certainly any of them, but even another dozen that we don't mention Like someone's going to get hot. I think it really hasn't happened all year. You know, someone get really hot, but someone could make two final rounds within these last, this last nine race stretch that someone's going to be the world champion. Like it is literally that wide open. So we got Sherman leading Jim Glenn right behind him. And Glenn has been at at or near the top all season long. Michael Holcomb still got a great shot with a couple races left. Both the Eisenhower brothers, that sounds like a, a broken record, right? They, they were both in yes. contention all the way to the final races last year. They're both in contention again. And on that note, did you happen to see the weekend that they had in St. Louis? I did not. I was busy winning foot break at Holiday <laughs> Beach. So I, <laughs> I just totally missed it. Like. <laughs> this was rough, man. They both come into the national event. It was the last national event at which they could claim points, um, both improving early round exits, right? So room to improve. And I don't know if it was in warm up or in his first burnout of the weekend, Devin Eisenhower kicks the rods out of the motor in his car. And I don't know exactly how the rule is stated, but it was early enough in the weekend that he could still swap cars. So he actually withdrew from super gas and ran his roadster in super comp to, to get the last claim and, and give himself an opportunity. And then first round, he's like to take 
a hundredth or something to lose. So oh. that's rough. Meanwhile, his brother Nick, who's got a also has a great shot at the championship and and has put together a great divisional score, but had a lot of room to improve on the national side. He advances through the quarterfinal round late Saturday night. And I don't know if it happened on the run Saturday night or in warm up Sunday morning, but he also hurts the motor in his directory is unable to make the semifinal round. And that one could prove so pivotal because if Nick Eisenhower had gone on and won that event, we wouldn't have led talking about Sherman Adcock. Nick would be leading as it is. He's three, four rounds back and now out of national events still very much has a shot, but man, those, potential, you know, 30, 40 extra points could loom really large at the end of the season. So rough weekend for the Eisenhower brothers. Yeah, that's tough right there, especially as talented as those guys are. And and they just seem to have that late season run in them every year. So uh, devastating blows for both of those guys. Um, I hate to see that, but Luke, in a, in a field this talented, you know, anything's possible for any of these racers and, you you stopped at the Eisenhowers, but you still got Austin Williams looming. Uh, you know Sherman's still back there, and the field in this case has a has a fair opportunity because they're not put away yet by anyone. Yeah, Austin's in a unique spot because two three months ago, if you'd asked Austin Williams about his Super Comp season, like he didn't want to talk about it. He, he wanted to talk about Super Gas, where he, he also still has a shot at the championship. All of a sudden, his last three events, Austin makes it to the semifinals at a divisional, wins the Topeka National event, surprise, wins the U.S. Nationals, which is an eight-round race, and now all of a sudden, he's within striking distance. The bad news is he's got three national events remaining. He's already won two, so you can really only claim one more, and he has to win it, I think, but who's going to say that Austin Williams isn't going to win one more national event. He's got three opportunities it actually as crazy. It is to say, it seems like the odds are in his favor. If he wins it, he would obviously take the lead. He would not have a score that would typically win. It might win this season. And I think the, if I had to pick a favorite and again, it's a crapshoot, but we didn't mention John LaBoose jr. At all. LaBoose sits at 529 points, 20 points back of the lead. He's got two divisional events remaining again, I'm sure he was planning on racing in Virginia last weekend. So that's going to throw him a bit of a loop. I believe we'll see little John in St. Louis this weekend as well, but it's a bit of a tough decision for him as in as well, because um, I believe that the last, the final of the VMP triple threat series point series bracket race is this weekend. And I think John is leading or in second or third place. And I think that's a pretty significant points fund. But if he doesn't go to St. Louis, there's not a way to get enough divisionals without going to Las Vegas. So I don't know where he ends up, but I trust that one way or another, he'll make two more division races. Um, He's improving a pair of second round losses. So the opportunity is there. Obviously, he's got to go rounds, but there's nobody more capable. Um, So uh, with that in mind, if I'm going to try to lay odds here, which seems impossible, I'll I'll actually put Labuse as the slight favorite. I'll put him at 20% to to win Supercomp. Give me Jim Glenn, give me Austin Williams, give me Ann Eisenhower. It's like a little two for one at 15% each. Give me Michael Holcomb at 10%. Give me Sherman Adcock Jr. at 10%. And then the field, the rest of the field, as good a chance as anybody, 15% that somebody that we didn't even talk about ends up winning this thing. It is that wide open. That is wide open and a lot of talent. Luke, are your odds also your prediction? 
Yeah. Yeah. Do you want, I, and I, and I feel like I robbed you that. Do you want to take a shot? No, I mean, uh, you know, obviously I'm a, I'm a big John LaBeouf fan. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Austin Williams. I'm a big fan of all of these guys, but knowing LaBeouf and Williams and Sherman, like I do, I'm pulling for one of those three. Uh, but I don't know, something about AW just makes me think he's going to slide in there and position himself well, because, you know, Laboose, I'm not real sure what decisions he's going to make about the, the bracket points deal versus going to the divisionals and how that impacts travel. So it'll be real interesting, but uh, certainly a wide open race still with a lot of great racers having an opportunity. All right, Luke, let's transition to super gas. This is one that's going to be near and dear to your heart because the leader is one Luke Bogacki reigning world champion and um, not as hot as you would like to be right now. But I think <laughs> the opportunity that's, that's in front of you is going to, again, re-energize you, refocus you. And, you know, with, with coming off a couple of performances that didn't go the way you intended for them to go and still be in this great position has to be somewhat relief on your part. So you're telling me there's a chance. Um, <laughs> a real yeah, good. somehow I am still leading at, at 600 points. And uh, I've been sitting on 600 points now for several months um, since the, the double at Topeka, where I was able to, to win both days. And at that point, I really like my chances. I was sitting at 600 points with five races remaining, like going to better that score. Um, three races and zero win lights later. I'm still sitting at 600. Um, now the odds of improving that score aren't near what they used to be. Uh, the two division races left. I'm improving a fourth round loss at both. Uh, I left a lot of opportunities available on the national event side. So um, I think I'm in a, a similar spot to Greg Stanfield, except I don't have nearly as many races left. Similar in that 600 leads now, um, like Stanfield's current score leads, but 600 is not going to win. Um it's going to be a lot harder for me to improve than it is for Greg. Like I said, improving a fourth round loss at uh, divisional. And if I were to improve on that, then I would be improving a semifinal loss on the last one. Um, realistically, I think the only path to a title is probably to win one of the races this weekend. And even at that, like I'm not hundred percent certain that would hold up, but I'd feel pretty good about it. Um, as a racer, I could, I, I'm, I'm in a unique position here uh, with, with you on the podcast, Big Jed. As a racer, I, I'm, the way I'm framing this is that uh, I'm just setting up the drama. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I haven't, uh, and in my defense, like I've run into to packages that I, I wouldn't typically beat at the last national, at these, this three race stretch where I haven't won around and I made one critical mistake, but I was, I was 001, give it back a, less than a thou, right? So I'm not going to get too upset about that. But the other side of that is like, I've run into packages that I shouldn't beat, but I haven't made great runs. Right. So as I'm, the way I'm framing this as a racer is, Hey, I'm, I'm setting this up for the big finish, the big comeback. And it's going to be so much cooler to have success this weekend than it would have been to just kind of run away, you know? So that's the way I'm setting it up as an impartial podcast host. Um, I'm in a very precarious position, Big Jed. I don't like my odds that well. The contenders in Supergas, Phil Unruh, I think at this point, it, it's fair to say is the favorite. He trails by 42 points 
Still got five events available um, at which he could earn points. Presumably he'll max that out. That'll be the St. Louis double this weekend and all three remaining national events, Dallas, Vegas, Pomona. Um, although he's not currently entered in Dallas, but he could be playing that close to the vest. Um, he's improving a first round loss at a national third round loss divisionally. So the way it shakes out, if I were to not improve to take the lead currently, um, Phil would need to make the final at a seven round divisional, which if he's at St. Louis, that'll definitely be seven rounds, uh, or, or win a six rounder or make the semis are better at one of his remaining national events. And again, he's got three of those. You could do it a couple of different ways. You could get some combination of late round finishes, but just to simplify it, that's basically what he's got to do. And he's got the advantage of having five races left. So he's got several opportunities. We talked about Austin Williams in regards to super comp. And we said, you know, if we'd asked Austin two, three months ago, he didn't want to talk about super comp at all. But at that point, like he looked like uh, almost a surefire favorite in super gas as he's heated up in super comp, he's cooled in gas, right? So now with three national events left, he is um, 70 points back, but he's improving a first round loss. So if I were to not improve, Austin wins one national event, he would take the lead or some combination of, of late round finishes. And then again, we also just discussed John Labouche Jr. We thought Caboose was basically out of the picture as of a month ago. But again, I haven't improved and no one else has, has jumped up there yet. So as it sits, if no one else surpasses my current mark at 600 and I don't improve it, Little John could take the lead by winning his last division race. And that sounds like a long shot. He's actually got two division races left. So if he were to win one of them, um, that sounds like a long shot. But again, it's John LaBoost Jr. Certainly capable. And if no one pushes this up to an astronomical number. If no one gets up to 630, 640, 650, then it opens the door to a, a number of other racers that could easily surpass that 600 mark. You're talking Mike Boehner, Chris, Chris Lewis, Jim Perry, Mark Yeager, and more, right? So how this plays out is anybody's guess. I'm a little bit biased in laying the odds, but do you want me to take a, take a crack at it here? Yeah, I like these odds right here. This is going to be fun to, to hear the breakdown of this. Give it to us, Luke. This is the impartial podcast host odds because, you know, as a racer, I'm still thinking like, you know, 70% easy my way. Right? <laughs> as an impartial podcast host, realistically, I think Phil Henry's the favorite. I'll give him a 40% chance of capturing this title. I put myself at 30%, Austin Williams at 20 Caboose at 6%. And that's that's like, given where John's at, anybody else in that position, it's like one or 2%, but it, because it's John LaBoost Jr., I'd bump him up to six and somebody else outside of those four sneaking up there and taking over, I'd put it 4%. Yeah. Great breakdown there, Luke. And, and I, I appreciate you trying to be as impartial as you can, but um, you know, Phil, I love Phil Andrew. I don't know him. Uh, I have talked to him one time before, and I've made it clear on the podcast I admire his equipment, always have. Uh, the guy's just uh, – he has incredible stuff, and he's a great driver. The last thing I would want is the myself guy hovering in that spot right there. Um, I think that's uh, I think that's got you in really good position. You know, you're only going to have so many performances that fall short of your expectations – each season and i think you've had those so we're pulling for you to get it done right here partner well i hope you're right big jet i do feel like i've been stockpiling wind lights hopefully i can let them all out this weekend i've been saving them that's for sure <laughs> turn them on brother 
let's move to top dragster where it's over. I'm, I'm gonna love talking about this it's all you know, i've wanted this to happen just pretty much anytime he's at a race but now he's in a national point series and jeremy hancock is the leader luke with an absolute stranglehold on the category about to win his first championship in top dragster i think that is an inevitable conclusion at this point um we joked about it earlier in the season when jeremy got off to a a role on the divisional side like man wouldn't it be cool if he could get to a few national events and really make a run at this jeremy hancock drives a a bracket car like a fast bracket car but a slow top dragster car right seven o's typically dial in the last three weekends big jed hancock who had who had a tremendous start to the season wins the divisional in galat Wins the national event in Charlotte, again, in his bracket car. Commandeers a ride, Big Jed, and was flying in St. Louis. Um, my apologies to, to Jeremy and his car owner. I, I shook the man's hand that, uh, that uh, owns the car that Jeremy was driving in St. Louis. He went 614. That was, he, didn't, he didn't want to worry about qualifying, Big Jed. <laughs> 614 <laughs> no, 220 you. miles an hour. And had never been that fast in his life. He's telling me, Jeremy was telling me at the, at the race that, you know, man, my first time trial, like, I was so nervous, like I was 60 on a tree and I, hell, I thought I got it. I, I wouldn't pay any attention, right? <laughs> Went 390 something to the eighth. He's like, man, that thing's fast. Well, four rounds later, he's in the semifinals because he just can't freaking lose. Uh, finally does get beat in the semis, but that essentially locks it up. I mean, he's got 589 points and he's just been to the minimum number of events, Big Jed. Just three nationals, five divisionals. He's got a score that I think is going to win as it is. He may not need to go to another race. If he does, there's still tremendous opportunity to improve. He's improving a first-round loss on the national side, a third-round loss in the divisional side. He was obviously at St. Louis last weekend. Like, will he stay and run the double? Uh, will he head west? Um, I would presume he'd make the Division Two closer in Orlando. Like, I think there's opportunity for him to improve, and I'm not 100% sure that he even needs to. Yeah, just uh, with, with that many events still remaining to earn points, like basically staging at them – it continues to to rise your your points number correct i mean he's he's in great great shape just just by being there yeah i mean he's he's been to the minimum at this point so there's no value in necessarily just showing up but he's got a first round loss to improve so every win light adds to that score but again like i don't i don't know that anybody touches the score that he's got now if you're looking for if you're looking to be a contrarian if you're not looking to join in our fun if you want a quote unquote real top dragster to win this championship, I think your best hope, perhaps your only hope is Aaron Stanfield. Stanfield trails currently by 87 points, uh, which again, in top dragster is uh, over a full race and considering that he's now improving, right? So he can't get a full claim. Stanfield cannot. Um, he's still got five events at which he could earn points, kind of in similar position to his father, Greg and Superstock. And there's certainly a path for him to attend five more events. Uh, I think they're going to be on the road with the Superstock car anyway. Uh, he's improving a first round loss in division, a third round loss nationally. It's a tough road to hoe, um, but it's possible. He would essentially, as Stanfield would essentially need to win two races. And that's assuming that Hancock does not improve. Like if Hancock doesn't go anymore, Aaron Stanfield would have to win two of the last five races. There are other contenders mathematically, but honestly, looking at it, I think it's by math only. Uh, if I'm laying odds here, I say Hancock wins this thing 85% of the time. Stanfield gets it 14%, and I'll leave a sliver of hope for the rest of the field. 1%, someone gets stupid hot and wins three, four races in a row to overtake Jeremy. 
I like my man Hancock's odds there. Go dogs, brother. Good luck to you. <laughs> Wrap this thing up. Luke, let's roll over into top sportsmen where there's a lot more uncertainty in terms of who the champion is likely to be. Right now, the leader is Vince Hoda at 516 points. Still some events remaining, but there is, again, uncertainty in this class and some talented people with better than just a mathematical chance to get it done. I think for, for my money, Jed, this is the most riveting points chase available this season. Like super comp is fun just because nobody has any idea. Top sportsman is it's going to be one of three, maybe four guys. They're all super talented and there is not a favorite among them. Like they are all on very much even footing. So the leader right now is my man, Vince Hoda sitting at 516 points can still earn points at three remaining events, two nationals, one divisional. He's improving a first round loss at a national event, a third round loss at divisional events. Now it's worth noting for the top sportsman class, that top sportsman is not contested in Las Vegas. So we'll just assume that Vince will make the two remaining events that do contest top sportsman. Dallas and Pomona, along with one points meet. Maybe that's St. Louis this weekend. Maybe that's Vegas on his way to Pomona. I don't know. The contenders, Lance Abbott, who was red hot to start the division four season and then continued that into the Topeka points meet. He sits at 494 points, which is 21 back of Vince Hoda, but Lance Abbott's next national event, which presumably will be Dallas counts full. So when he stages for round one, assuming that he does stage in round one and assuming that Vince Hoda doesn't stretch out his lead before then, Keith Abbott will take the national points lead. Now he can still earn points at both the remaining national events. He'll, he'll leave one on the table regardless. Plus he could still go to three more points meets. Now to get to three, he'd have to be in St. Louis this weekend, but that's not that far a drive from West Texas where uh, Lance Abbott resides. Um, And I'm not sure that those additional divisional events for Lat Sabbath are completely necessary. He has crushed it on the divisional side. He's improving a semifinal loss. Nationally, like I said, he gets the next race full. Then he's improving a second round loss. It's worth noting, again, just the two national events remain. Lance Abbott obviously entered, will be at Dallas, would presumably make the trip to Pomona as well. Dallas right now, I was looking at the entry list earlier, Big Jed, top sportsman has 40 entries for the 32 car field in Dallas. And the reason that that's worth noting is that Lance Abbott has been racing along at seven O's this season. Like if there's a legit 40 cars there, I'm not sure that seven O's gets in the show. Now, Lance Abbott and his family, like they're engine builders. I'm sure they figure out a way to go faster if they need to, but there's some inherent advantage to sticking with a combination that's got you here. Like I'm sure he would be more comfortable going seven O's the way that he's dominated all season, then he would be trying to speed that thing up to get in the show. So that's going to be worth watching as well. Most definitely a lot of differences between what we talked about Jeremy Hancock doing, jumping in a a dragster, going from seven O's to 16s and doing that, uh, you know, not even getting close to that 16s, but from seven O's to say 650s, 660s in the door car is quite a difference and a different look and would, would probably create a bit of uncomfort. So, um, I, I think that Luke is a very good point. And with 40 entries that could definitely impact his ability to get in the show and, and, uh, wrap up a good point season, take his shot at the title. So, uh, really good breakdown there. And 
you know, I'm a, I'm a Don Mazir fan, so I'm pulling for Don. No offense to anyone else, but love to see Don somehow roll up in there and, uh, and bust that party up and get this championship. Well, he's the third in this trio of, of real legit contenders. He sits at 501 points, which is just 15 back of Vince Hoda's current mark. Uh, Don Mazir can still earn points at one national event. He's improving a third round loss. So he's got to go some rounds and he still has an opportunity at three points meets, improving a pair of second round losses and where he's at geographically, it's going to be really easy for him to make those races. Obviously the Pomona national event, the double in Bakersfield, the divisional in Vegas. Like I assume that Mazir will have the full allotment, give himself the full shot at this. And those three big Jed, like I can't, Vince Hoda, Lance Abbott, Don Mazir, I can't differentiate between them. I'm going to give them 30% chance each, dead even across the board. Like those three, take your pick. I, I think it's I think it's very much even across the board. Now, 30 plus 30 plus 30, Big Jeff, what, we're, I know we established on a recent episode we're not particularly good at math. But what's that come up to? Yeah, that comes up to 90 here in Alabama. Yeah. Okay. So I still got 10%. And if you're looking to, to kind of go against the grain, those are the three drivers that we talked about essentially all season. Ed Olpen would be the fourth that has a chance of upsetting the apple cart. Uh, Olpen sits at 481 points. He's a perennial contender. It seems like he is in this position year after year after year. He's not won a national championship. And so from that standpoint, it feels like he's due because he contends for it every single season. He right now trails by 25 points. He can earn points at one national one points meet. He's improving a second round loss at both. So on paper, that doesn't look as good as the other three, but Ed Olpen goes and wins one of those last two races. That's a pretty strong number that is, you know, I will say likely to hold up. So Olpen, I, I might even be undervaluing him at 10%, but if it's not going to be one of those three, Vince Hoda, Vince Hoda uh, Lance Abbott, or Don Mazir, Ed Olpen's got the, the other shot at this thing. The loan remaining 10% in that uh, category. So great breakdowns, Luke, really good stuff. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing how they all play out and see how that compares with your handicapping skills. But um, I, I really appreciate the breakdown. That, that helped me a lot to try to get a feel for, uh, for who is in position to do what in the NHRA side. Uh, real quick, uh, there was, you know, a bracket performance a good one here and there but uh of note uh noteworthy is uh brian whitworth luke on a heater i mean a real heater yes he is yes he is uh obviously he won the uh 11 one of the eleven thousand dollar main events at the jake summer door car shootout that you promote uh he was coming off of uh, a week where his wife shauna took the same camouflage truck and collected a $7,500 win in a door car only event at uh, Terre Haute. And now Brian staying red hot with a $10,000 win at US 41 in Morocco, Indiana, uh, on the heels of, of those, of his own great performances and his wife's in the same vehicle. That little camouflage S10 is on fire, bro. Yeah. I mean, that's what three pretty significant event wins um, in the last what, six weekends. That's, that's, that's notable stuff. I thought it was worth noting here on the podcast. And, and another thing that I guess we'll, we'll close the show on as much as I, we hate to, to report this and we don't necessarily have a lot of information, but certainly worth mentioning. We, we had, uh, uh, there's no other way to put it. Like uh, we, we, 
we realize that what we do has its inherent dangers. I think it's something that we all um, compartmentalize and put at the back of our minds. But uh, we lost one of our own last weekend uh, up north of the border at a bracket event in Luskville Dragway in Canada. Um, lost a man by the name of Dennis Black to an on-track incident um, at the bracket race up there. And again, I don't know any of the details of the situation, um, but obviously as a racing community, we all grieve, we all mourn uh, the, the passing of one of our own, particularly when it, when it comes in an on-track incident. So just wanted to, uh, to, to mention Dennis and uh, let, his, uh, let his family and his friends know that, uh, that we're thinking of him here on the podcast. Yeah, definitely hate to hear that. Uh, the way we started the show and the way we ended the show is um, not the way that we like to do it here on the, the podcast. Um, anytime we, we hear of an incident like this that takes someone's life on the racetrack, you know, we can have some comfort knowing that they went out doing what they love to do, but still it hits home very quickly and clearly when you know this is what we like to do ourselves too and participate on the racetrack and how quickly things can change and life can be stopped on a dime so certainly our thoughts and prayers uh to him and his family and uh and all the people that that are are impacted by this loss and um hate to hear these types of things Luke, that wraps us up. You got other business to do tonight. Great breakdown of the NHRA points battles. Uh, certainly enjoyed that. Uh, great to, to talk about Brian Whitworth and all his accomplishments. Next time on the show, we're going to have some IHRA and WDRA information, some um, some additions to the team in IHRA, and just details about what's happening in both of those organizations. And look forward to talking some more about that. That pretty much closes out this show, and we appreciate you guys listening. I got a kick out of uh, hearing the breakdowns, and I hope you did too. Um, if you have some information about uh, anything in racing or you want to talk about anything we discussed on this show, there's a place to do that. It's the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. Go right there. Make a post on our show release. Make your own post or send us a private message, and producer Mark will snag that right up and uh, and pass it by us. We would love to hear from you. Luke, I know you're in a bit of a time crunch. Do you have some shouts? I do. They're condensed this week, but I do want to shout out Footbreak Jed and his reemergence. Congratulations yes. once again. I, again, I don't have – He's back, baby. Jed's back. <laughs> Jed's back. Shouts, of course, to the dog. Oh, yeah. Good one. And shouts to the dogs. It's over. <laughs> good stuff. Uh, good, real good stuff. And uh, and certainly, uh, you know, we're we're pulling for those dog lovers and those people that are called dogs as they as they continue <laughs> on in the points battles. Um, Somewhere, Anthony's kicked back listening, going, "Yeah, right dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dog." <laughs> Anthony told me at Bristol we were parked by each other, and he he come out with a plate full of food and. I said, what you got there? He said, I got you something to eat, dog, so you ain't got to eat that bleep in the tower. <laughs> and that's, my, that's who he is. That's just who he is. Good stuff. All right, guys, if you'd like to tweet, Luke, Luke and I are on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you there as well. We hear from you from time to time. Keep it coming. Luke is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I. I am at JP11X. Thank you for tuning in and listening, and we look forward to talking to you again real soon about more Sportsman Drag Race. Rolling down these old back roads Working all week, trying to 
Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries. There's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.